Good morning. Today is the fifth Sunday of the season of Lent. We are on the heels of Palm Sunday and Easter. We spend a lot, I would say, the vast majority of our Sunday worship here at Knox thinking about themes like hope, joy, and encouragement, all important things in terms of having a balanced diet of this thing that we call faith. This is a season, uh, a Sunday for eating our vegetables. We're going to do something a little different this morning. Let us pray. O God, surround us with your love and care. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Some of you may have heard today's New Testament lesson before. It raises some thorny and unanswered questions. When Mary pours out this costly jar of perfume, it is Judas, of all people, who raises the question, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He seems to have a good point. But the story also immediately labels Judas as a thief, and if you know the whole story and that Judas is the great betrayer, you know that his motives are not pure. In a few short days, Judas will betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver with no intention of giving the money to the poor. What are we to make of Judas's question? For it seems on the surface to be a good one. Mary does seem to be acting wastefully, and then there is this cryptic comment from Jesus, you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. Is the humble Jesus calling himself more important than the poor? What is going on here in this complicated exchange of words? People have argued about it for ages, and it has been used both to justify and to condemn complacency toward the needs of the poor. What is going on? We read this story, and we want to know who is right in this conversation. But in our desire to figure out who is right, I wonder if we have missed the point of the story altogether. In this story, Mary is practicing lament. Specifically, she is lamenting the fact that she is about to lose Jesus. We can figure this out from the context. The story tells us it is six days before Passover, a clue that Palm Sunday is approaching. Jesus is about to ride into Jerusalem, He will place himself at the mercy of the authorities there, and he will begin the last week of his life. Jesus arrives at a home in Bethany, and a meal is prepared for them to share. 
It sounds like it might be an occasion for celebration, but those who have been watching Jesus carefully and listening to him know that this is no celebration. Jesus' ways of justice, mercy, and love are too radical and too threatening to the powers that be, and he is going to be killed. Mary is one of those who have been paying attention. She has purchased a jar of costly perfume, saving it to anoint Jesus' body after he dies. But on this day, about two weeks before his death, Mary is so overcome with grief that she cannot contain her sadness any longer. So breaking open that jar with the still living Jesus before her, she anoints his feet with the perfume and begins to wipe them with her hair. She has to let out the pain that is inside of her. It has become impossible for her to ignore. And when, Ju when Judas criticizes her, Jesus tells him to leave her be. For Mary is doing holy work. Mary is engaging in an act of lament. As we listened to this story, I asked you to think about things in this world that are worthy of lament. Lament is not a word we use a lot. It means deep grief and sorrow. And it is somewhat obvious why we don't talk about lament very much. We don't like deep grief or sorrow. We'd much rather talk about joy, encouragement, and hope. The problem is that grief and sorrow, they may be avoided or ignored or numbed for a little while, but they cannot be eliminated. For deep grief and sorrow are an inevitable part of life. As I have pointed out in past sermons, many believe we are living in a time of unprecedented loneliness and disconnection in our culture. In spite of material comfort and convenience, technological advancements that are hard to believe, and a pill for everything, Rates of overdose and suicide have gone way up. Some argue that it is a result of our inability to process our grief and sorrow. We do not know how to lament. Some would argue that our sadness and loneliness are so deep that we do not even know that it is there. We've come up with so many ways to distract ourselves from feeling sadness that we do not even know that we are sad. And then the suicides and the overdoses catch us by surprise. I read yet another article about it this week. The author, Matt Tebby, noticed some of our coping mechanisms. Lonely, he asks. Watch another Netflix show. Refresh your Facebook page of your family to see how many likes you've received. Kill off that box of cookies. Feeling ugly? Get free Botox from your neighbor. 
Start a gym membership and lose that weight. Buy more expensive and flattering clothing. Hurting from a relationship? Eat, drink, and be merry. Change churches. Just begin to ignore that awkward relationship. Insignificant at work? Find your significance in your kid's performance or your meticulously cared-for lawn or your car. Stressed out? Unable to cope? Pop open another bottle of wine. Plan a guy's weekend. Play another round of golf. Download another mobile phone game. All of these strategies and countless others ignore or dull the pain. None of them allow us to actually feel it. None of these strategies allow us to lament. In church, we have subtle ways of making all of these same mistakes. Even here in church, where we are supposed to be real about the struggles of this world, we are surprisingly bad at lament. Pastors are as guilty of this as anyone. We know that lament is a healthy thing and that it needs to be practiced in worship. They teach us that much in school. But then when it comes to actually being in leadership in a church, we like for members of our congregations to be happy and optimistic. We want you to like us and attend worship frequently, come back often, and we slide into habits of talking about joy and hope and love all the time and not saying hard things about grief and lament. We always end the service with happy, upbeat songs that we hope most of you will know, and we only mention lament as long as we are going to finish the sermon with something more upbeat, sending the people home with a good feeling inside. Now, this may not sound so bad, but let me tell you where it goes terribly wrong. Suppose you are in the midst of a genuine tragedy in your life, an unexpected and frightening diagnosis a painful divorce or alienation from a sibling or a parent, the untimely death of a young spouse or a child. In your suffering, you look to church, hoping to hear something real. What if the entire service is always about hope or joy? It is meaningless and irrelevant to you? What if the sermon and the prayers genuinely try to speak to lament, but the sermon always ends with a story about someone who is happier than you are? Or an invitation to rise at the end of the service and sing a rousing hymn and go out into the world in joy? And you are not there. No one seems to understand. No one seems to care about or take seriously the depth of your suffering. That's what happens in church when we ignore lament. 
Lament is not easy, but it is real and it is needed. We have to be able to give voice to our suffering in prayer and in the way that we come before God together. And we have to worship with other people who are willing to go there with us and who are willing to stay there for a while. Lament is not just about our own personal concerns. It's about the shared problems of our world. I spent this past week in Atlanta for a workshop. I'm part of a national group that is studying the ongoing legacy of racism in the Presbyterian Church. It is a frightening and hurtful and ongoing story. We are not learning about extremism. We're not learning about white pointy hats or modern-day hate crimes. We are learning about regular Presbyterians and the subtle and cowardly ways in which most of our property, investments, and the governing bodies of our church have been built on rules and practices that benefit white people, always have, and continue to do so. We're learning about how we have increased the power and privilege of the people who already had it to begin with. I am sure I will be telling you more about this work at some point. For now, I am not yet sure what I want to say. But this week, our teachers warned us it is a lamentable history which means it is one that will not be solved in a week by any training program, and we are being invited not to decide right now what we wish to do, but first to lament, to seek to more fully understand and mourn who we have been so we can begin to heal. Lamenting the collective problems of our world does connect back to our personal struggles. When we ignore the suffering of others, whether it be in the form of racism or economic injustice or housing, when we ignore these things over time, we become less connected to other people. And our lack of connection makes us less humane and less human. When we ignore the suffering of others, we hurt ourselves too. The answer, it seems, is to allow ourselves to lament, to feel the sadness and pain of our world enough to allow it to have an impact on us to see the humanity of other people who are suffering, and to invest something of ourselves in understanding their pain. I believe this is what Mary is doing in the story we read today. She buys and then breaks open that costly perfume in expectation of Jesus' death. She is doing this to dramatically act out her lament. She is giving something of herself that is costly 
so that she can more deeply understand the depth of what Jesus is facing. The experience he will have at the hands of his accusers. Perhaps in lamenting with Jesus, perhaps in coming to understand him more deeply, perhaps Mary will become a person who is more capable of responding to others as Jesus did with a real and genuine compassion for their pain and suffering. So today I am inviting us to lament together. I invited you to think about a question. What thing in your life or in the life of our world is in need of lament? I invite you, at least until the end of this very short worship service to continue considering that question. Allow it to work on you. There will be no sudden upbeat change at the end of the service today, no snapping you out of it, no encouraging you to be joyful, no numbing you to the world's pain. Next week we'll be back for Palm Sunday and the following week for Easter, and that should be good enough for the hope and encouragement we need. But today I invite you into this brave space, into this courageous space, as we give our offerings and come to the communion table, as we pray our prayers. Think about it. What in our world is in need of lament? What suffering in someone else's life, or even in your own life, do you need to understand more deeply? Perhaps in your lament, you, like Mary, might be formed by the love and humanity of Jesus Christ. Perhaps in that lament, we might begin to heal. Amen.